who is our uh, mission director, to uh, share one God moment of that week. There were many God moments, but there was one God moment that was really cool, and so Jennifer is going to share about that. Can everybody hear me? Um, so you saw some of the pictures of the places that we worked. Um, one of the places that we worked, we don't have pictures of, um, but we all have them in our minds. It's actually a landfill, um, which is just what it sounds like. Uh, it's where they bring trash. And there are people that live in the landfill and work in the landfill. And what they do for a living is they go through the trash and they try to get anything that can be resold or recycled or reused. Um, so they go through everything that we throw away. So, I mean, as you can imagine, um, this is not a glorious job. Um, this is something, um, though, that they do to help provide for their families. Um, it's a very emotional day, um, and it was the last day of the week. Um, we went there, and it, when we first got there, we went to where, they, where some of the houses are, and we saw some women and their children. Um, we gave out some toys and some vitamins, and then they told us that we needed to go to a different place there in the landfill, um, that that's where they'd arrange for us to be. Uh, and at first, that was very hard for us because we thought, well, here are these women and their children, and, and they really need us, and, and why should we leave them to go help these other people? Um, but we did because that's what we were supposed to do. That's what we were told to do. Um, and we'd probably been there about 30 minutes, um, and it became very clear that we were exactly where God wanted us to be. Um, we set up our vans and just saw people in between the vans. It was nothing like medical care that um, we would see here in the United States. Um, but we have to hurry to try to get people through um, because they're taking away from their livelihoods to come see us. But there was a young man, and I'm not very good at estimating ages, but I'd say he was in his late teens or early 20s, um, who came over and he was, you could tell he was in a lot of pain and, and very hurt um, and holding his hand. And um, at first I thought he had just gotten poked in his hand and I thought, gosh, you're kind of being a weenie, but um, <laughs> but it, but it soon became very clear that no, he in fact was not. He had been reaching into something and it, it hit it just right, and um, a piece of a branch had gone under his skin. Um, so he had a foreign body in his in his hand, and so being the emergency room doctor, I was like, oh, here we go. This is an emergency. Um, so we were able to numb it up, and at first we pulled out a piece that was about that big, and I was like, wow. But then we actually pulled out a piece that was about that big. Um, and it was, it was amazing to me um, just how God had used us. Um, everybody was kind of around. It was a very big deal. Um, his family was there. They were weeping and wailing and praying with him. Um, our pastors were praying with him. Um, but when he left, you know, he, was, he felt very good. And... Um, we felt very good about what we've been able to do to this, for this one person. I, I remember thinking to myself, if we don't help anybody else today, we were right where God wanted us to be. Um, if we hadn't been there, I'm sure that eventually this guy would have probably somehow gotten this thing out of his hand. Um, but I don't want to think about what might have happened um, from infection. And in such a young man, if he had lost his finger or his hand, he would have lost his livelihood. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that, that's one God moment. Um, and there are many that happen in our lives every single day and also when you go to Mexico. And so uh, right now we want to encourage you to put on your calendar, if you're thinking about it, uh, the dates will come up here, um, May 21st to the 29th. And if you would like to be a part of that, you can. There will be some informational meetings that Jennifer uh, will be uh, leading in February and March so you can start collecting money uh, for uh, that trip and we'll think of some ways uh, we can help with fundraising as well.
But we want to be the type of church that reaches out to the least of these in other parts of our world. And uh, we're grateful for Jennifer and everyone else who went and uh, where God showed up as they were obedient to that. So uh, let's give Jennifer a hand for coming up and sharing that story. Well, today we're in uh, our second part of our series called God Unboxed. And uh, this week, uh, we want to jump right into our teaching. And we're going to look at a passage in the Old Testament. And uh, the first scripture I want us to look at is in the Old Testament as well. And it is in Deuteronomy 29.29. It's in the first half of the Bible. And this is what it says. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. Translated, God reveals plenty of things about himself. And he gives us information in which all of us, every single one of us, and even our children can easily understand. But there are some secret things. There are some mysterious things about God that we cannot understand. They'll always remain mysteries. He will not reveal them to us because they remain a secret. You see, folks, God is way too big for us to put Him in a box. And His ways are unsearchable. Now this week, I want us to look at a character in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Hezekiah. Isn't that a cool name? Hezekiah. Like my name, I like it, but it's just Chris, you know? But uh, think about that. If you were named Hezekiah, so let's say that word uh, together, and if you mispronounce it, it'll be okay. Just don't cuss while you're saying it, okay? Uh, On three, one, two, three, Hezekiah. Now, he is 25 years old, and he becomes the king of Judah. And immediately, he is put in charge of millions of people. Again, he's only 25 years old. And he reigns as king for 29 years. And he's put in this huge kind of leadership position. Now, his father Ahaz was the king before him, and his claim for fame was that he boarded up the temple and uh, he called on everyone in the country to worship foreign gods. So it would kind of be like if our president said, all churches are closed, and he boarded up all the doors to all the churches, and then he said, now you have to worship an idol. Then on top of that, what happens is, Ahaz takes altars of all the foreign gods and he builds them at every intersection in Jerusalem. So that whenever people are walking by or they're around, they see all of these altars of other gods. And with Ahaz doing this, he brings this full judgment from God, not just upon him, but on the entire nation. So Ahaz dies. And a lot of people are thankful because, you know, they're having all of this judgment and all these bad things happening to them. And this 25-year-old kid 
becomes the king of this country. Now the problem is, Hezekiah already has two strikes against him. It's like he's up to bat, and the count is already 0-2. First of all, things in Israel is a rip-roaring mess. In Judah, I mean. It is messed up. Things are bad. It is not going well at all. And guess how old he was again? 25. Now think about where you were at 25. (laughs) Some of you were pretty messed up, weren't you? You know? And now, all of a sudden, this guy, though, he is in control of this entire country. So what is he going to do? Well, the Bible says this. Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. So here's this 25-year-old kid, and the very first thing he does in the first 30 days of his public offices, he goes and he opens the doors up to the temple and he starts to repair them. He's going to repair them to get them ready for people to come and to worship the one true God. He wants the whole nation to know right up front, you know what, you were under one deal with my dad, But now, we have a new deal. We're doing something brand new, and it's starting today. And the deal is that we're getting rid of everything, and we're only going to focus worshiping the one true God. Now, shortly after this decision, what he does is he gets some soldiers and citizens and uh, some uh, volunteers to go to the intersections, because at the intersection... What was there? What was at all the intersections? Good. Some of, some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about. There were all these foreign god altars. And he sends all these people out and they tear them down. I mean, they get these sledgehammers and they just tear all of it out. And they smash to pieces these foreign idols. And he does this to express that today is a new day. We are tearing down all of that stuff. And then he organizes this massive worship for the entire nation to be a part of. It was like Woodstock before Woodstock. How many of you remember Woodstock? Raise your hand. You're old. All right. (laughs) I wasn't even born yet, but Woodstock took place in 1969 in this big farm field. And there are actually two people from our church, who were there. Eric and Lori Gillette uh, were at Woodstock in 1969. They thought 5,000 people were going to show up. A half a million people showed up to this farm. Now, during that time, they worshipped for three days, among other things. Uh, But they worshipped the likes of Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and the Grateful Dead. And over a half a million people are doing this. But the original Woodstock folks was on this day when Hezekiah said, it's not just going to be a half million, but it's going to be everyone in the entire nation. You've all been worshiping other things, but now we are going to have one mad worship rock concert. And we're going to blow the roof off to the one true God. And this is how it went. The whole assembly, everyone, was worshiping God, singing the song, 
and blowing the trumpets. All of this continued for, what's it say? Hours. Little side note here. If our celebration goes over 10 or 15 minutes, okay? Just be thankful. Because it's not hours. Okay? It could be a lot worse, folks. Count your blessings, okay? Back to the Bible now. Uh, So they continued for hours until the burnt offering was completed. When the burnt offerings were completed, the king and all those present with him bowed down and worshipped. Now just imagine, here is this 25-year-old king who is in his royal garb. And he gets this huge Woodstock worship experience going on. And at the end of this big worship blowout, he says, hey guys, let's sing one more song. You know that one song. And they begin to start playing that song. And here's the king. And in the middle of the song, the king gets on his knees... And he falls down and he puts his head straight to the ground and head and face and knees and he is worshiping the one true God. And everyone is looking at the king. He humbles himself before God and he shows everyone that now this is how we will worship. Folks, every single person in this place is a leader. You're a leader in some area of your life. And regardless of what area you're a leader in, people are watching. People are watching you all the time. And your example is so much more important than the words you choose to say. Parents, your example to your kids matters more than anything you would ever say. Every time your kids watch you open up your Bible and they see you reading it, it says something to them. Every time they see you praying before a meal or praying at any time, it means something to them. Every time that you take a stand for God when you could easily lie, cheat, do something else, it says something to them. It registers. It means something to them. Leaders in the workplace, when you walk the walk and talk the talk, when you lead godly lives filled with integrity, that example alone is the most powerful thing you can do. Because what happens is people go... Wow, that guy, he really means what he says. What he says, he follows through with. He believes this stuff. Now, it doesn't mean that when you act this way, that all of a sudden people are going to run to you and bow down and go, Oh, let me come follow your God, you know? I mean, it's not going to be that. But what happens is when you live a life of integrity, an example, even when it's easier and the road is wider another way, when you live that way in a narrow path, all of a sudden you sow seeds into the lives of other people and their lives change because of your integrity. Okay, back to the text. The Bible says this. Hezekiah did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God in everything that he undertook. He sought his God and worked wholeheartedly 
and so he prospered. Now here's kind of a one-two punch that happens in this passage. If any of you want to be successful in life, if you are trying to find what does it mean to be successful, here's a one-two punch that is right here. First of all, seek God, and secondly, work wholeheartedly. That's the key to success. You seek God and you work wholeheartedly. You combine those two things together and often great things happen to people's lives. Another passage puts it this way. And the Lord was with Hezekiah and he was successful in whatever he undertook. Now this raises our first big question of the morning and it's this. Does God always prosper people who seek to honor Him fully? Does God always prosper people who seek to honor Him fully? Now, some scriptures in the Bible seem to kind of indicate that that's God's promises to us. And the first kind of promise that uh, we see uh, that would allude to this is in Job 36.11, and it says, If they obey and serve Him, they will spend the rest of their days in prosperity and their years in contentment. Another scripture says this, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and He adds no trouble to it. Now it seems pretty clear, doesn't it? Put God first, and you will enjoy health, wealth, Happiness? Thinness? I thought that would go over better. Uh, Health, wealth, happiness, thinness, new cars, a new home, a new condo. But it's that something that God will do predictably. Is that what happens? Is that something that God does predictably all the time in every situation? You know... Throughout biblical and church history, there have been people, many men and women, who were fully devoted, sold out to God. And many of them wound up being beaten, abused, wounded, killed. Some were sawed in half. Some were fed to lions. And church history tells us that all of the disciples, the ones that were closest to Jesus, that all of them except John were actually murdered. Now, there will be a picture that comes up here. Anybody know uh, what this historical landmark is? What is that? Some are like, I have no idea. It's called the Colosseum. And uh, this Colosseum is in Rome. And at that place, in the first few hundred years of the early church, there were men and women and children who were torn apart by animals. And the pagans would sit up on top there and look down and they would watch as these Christians were killed uh, in this stadium. And they didn't do it just once, folks, but they did it for years. And when I learned about this when I was in seminary and I read all of these accounts, I thought to myself, did God neglect them? Did he forget them? What about these folks? It sure doesn't seem like God prospered them very much. 
So is there any predictability at all with regards to whom God prospers and whom he doesn't? Who his favor falls upon, who his blessing falls upon, and who it doesn't. In my opinion, I think there is little predictability on this one, folks. I don't think we can pin God down into a box and say that this is the way it's going to be. I think God is way too big. He's bigger than all of this to be held in a box. This week I was talking to uh, one of our most uh, faithful leaders here at the JAR. And uh, he started telling me the story that just this week, one of the guys that works for him actually uh, went to the distributor that he goes to and he bought some equipment that was over $4,000 and he put this faithful follower of Christ's name to it. So this faithful follower of Christ calls the distributor and says, hey, this guy you know, put all this on me, but... Uh, that wasn't who I am. And they kind of wrestled back and forth. And they said, hey, your name's you know, kind of here. We're not sure. All of this stuff is kind of up in the air. He hopes everything works out fine. But it may not. Now, did the fact that he was a faithful follower of Christ prevent him from potentially taking this huge financial hit in his life? I'm just saying, folks, we could just take this question alone and we could spend an entire series talking about it and focusing on it. But for our purposes here today, on this Sunday, I just want to say, Hezekiah, who was 25 years old, believed to the core of his being that following God was the right thing to do. And he was convinced to the core of who he was that it was the best way to live his life. Young Hezekiah, he lived his life that way, not the way of his dad, which would have been an easier road, but he lived the way to follow God, not in order for God to bless him, not in order for God to prosper him, but he left all of that totally into God's hands. He lived a life to honor God. Hook, line, and sinker. Now I just want to suggest to every jarhead who is here today, The same. I suggest that if you call yourself a man or woman of God, a Christian, I suggest that every single morning you wake up with a fresh commitment to the one true God. That you honor Him in everything that you do. In every thought, in every word, in every deed. And then just let God be God and let Him choose to do everything else. Do you agree with me on this? don't sound convincing. I think you should. It's the best way. It really is. It's the right way to think about it. Now, folks, this is not in your notes, but this is something that I would encourage you to write down. It's a quote that I got from a great Christian leader named Don Cousins, and this is the way that he deals with this whole thing. He says this, honor God in your everyday life, and God will honor you for a lifetime. You honor God with your everyday life, and God will honor you for a lifetime. I want so strongly for you guys to really say, we'll do this. I encourage you to live this way. Let God choose to honor you however he chooses to honor you. But your side of it is that I will honor him every day with my life. 
You just get up every morning and you say, God, I want to let you be the one who is honored in my life today. Deal? Good, some of you got it. Deal. There we go. Now, shortly after this kind of huge Woodstock worship blowout, trouble comes knocking to poor Hezekiah. An enemy king has a huge and powerful army that comes and he wants to pick a fight. So he sends his army commander, the guy who's kind of the big heavy of his uh, military, and the guy goes to the public square where the well is and he starts trash-talking Hezekiah. Now, I know just a little bit about trash-talking. In college, uh, I played basketball for one year, and uh, I, after that, I played intramural, but I became a very good trash talker. And uh, I'll never forget one game uh, in which uh, uh, we were playing against my wife now, Jennifer, her ex-boyfriend, Chad. Now, Chad was this pretty boy, you know, had the perfect hair, you know, the whole thing. Looked like Steve Alford, basically. And you might like Steve, you may not, but that's what he looked like. And... Um, Pretty boys there. He had gone to this little school way up in northern Indiana. I mean, there were just a handful of people that were there. And um, he, he was the star of his high school. Now, I went to Anderson-Madison Heights where um, I was not the star of my high school. Um, but I set the bench. But we were a much bigger school. And so when the day of the game came, I was like, I know I'm going to be able to take him out. And so I'm dribbling the basketball, and it just happened. It was like fate, like God put Chad right in front of me. And Chad's standing right in front of me, and I juke him to the left like that. He just stops that way. I go right around him, up, and I make a layup. I start running back down the court, and I stop right in front of Chad's face. And I stop him. And then I bend down as if I'm getting ready to pick something up, and I go, here's your jock strap. And then I just kept on running. Now, I'm not proud of that. (laughs) Maybe a little bit, okay? But this is the kind of trash talking that this army commander is doing to Hezekiah at the well. He's like, Hezekiah, ha, 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 ha. He goes, he is weak. He is little. He's never led anybody. It's still like he's sucking his thumb. He mocks Hezekiah's family, he mocks Hezekiah's army, and finally, he mocks his God. He gets threatening to lay siege to the city. He says that he's going to attack everyone in the city, and everyone's going to be killed, and it's going to be your fault. And finally, after all the trash talking, he pulls out this little letter, a message from the king, and the army commander gives it to Hezekiah, and he opens it up, and it basically says, you're dead meat. Every man, woman, and child is going to be killed in Jerusalem today, and it's all on your hands. And folks, Hezekiah, he's not even 30 yet. He's only been a leader for a very brief period of time. And he's scared and he's overwhelmed. And he reads this threatening letter every morning, noon, and night. And he's like, man, I just am not going to be able to handle this. He can't take it anymore. And 2 Kings 19.14 says this, Then he went up to the temple, which is where he had repaired and reopened it, of the Lord, and he spread it out. What is it? 
It's this letter. It's this threatening letter from the king. Hezekiah was like, God, here it is. I can't take it anymore. So here you go, God. You take it. Look at this. I need your help. I need it now. He spreads out the letter before God in the temple. And here's the second big question. What are you spreading out before God these days? What are you spreading out before God these days? What are you spreading out that you want Him to see? What worry in your life? What are you all worked up about? What is it that you would literally spread out before God that you could cry about out for help right now? Is there a concern in your life that is so pressing that you would be willing to take the risk to put it down in front of God and to lay it out? Many of you know that the jar was started uh, in homes. It first started in my home, and then we went to different homes. And finally, after nine months, we outgrew any home. And so we started meeting upstairs uh, here at the Y. And at first, it was great. We loved it. But then all of a sudden, people liked the homes. They didn't like necessarily what we were doing. And attendance started to go down. And I just knew that if we didn't do something, that the church was going to die. There's no way we could do it. And so um, I got real discouraged. I was like, God, what, are you, what do you want to do? I just kind of spread it out before him. And during the same time, the movie The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson had just come out. And this idea came to me that we would just go ahead and we would take one whole movie theater, 265 seats, and we'd pay for every single ticket and we would pass them out to all of our friends who were disconnected from Christ and the church, and we'd give it to them free. And we'd say we'd watch your kids at the uh, Muncie Museum, the kids could have fun there, and after the Passion of the Christ was over, everyone would come back to the museum, and we'd have pizza and pop, and we'd just talk about the movie. Now in doing this, I knew it was going to deplete almost all of the finances that we had as a church. And I remember my best friend, John Goble. Some of you know John. And he came to me and, and I said, we're, gonna, we're just going to put everything in, John. I just feel like this is what we're going to do, what, what we need to do. And he looked at me and he said, let's go for broke. Let's just go for broke. Now, John is a CPA, and if any of you know John, he's one of the most tight people I've ever known in my life. I mean, when he walks, it squeaks, you know what I mean? But that's what we did. And I remember taking this prayer concern, and God, I don't know if one person will show up, but I'm praying right now that 260, that would sell it out, God, and I just spread it out before God. And I'll never forget that day when we were at the theater that all of a sudden 
Every single seat was filled. There were so many people we couldn't, the fire marshal would not let us put anyone else in. And we had 75 kids at the museum. And when we came back for the talk back, there were 150 people that were there eating pizza. And all of a sudden, many of those people came to the jar and the jar kind of started. And all of a sudden, lives were changed for eternity as some of those people came to Christ because we just chose to spread it out before God. It was a long shot. We spread out our concerns. We had no idea, but we just said, here it is, God. This is what we think we need to do. Will you help us? And today, I just want to encourage you that if you need help with something in your life, today, right now, don't just ask God for it. Take whatever that thing is and put it right in front of God and spread it out before Him. It might be some medical stuff that you're going through right now. Take the report itself and put it before God and just begin to start praying. And say, God, here it is. Would you show up? For some of you, you might be in a marriage right now that is just struggling. Take your marriage certificate. Put it before God. Spread it out and say, God, would you show up? For other of you, you have family members or friends or co-workers or neighbors who are far from God and you've been praying for them and maybe you would humble yourself enough to get a picture of them or their name or just put it right before God and spread it out and begin to start praying for them. Folks, who or what in your life do you care so deeply about that you would be tempted to take something physical, whether it's their name or their picture, and put it before God? It's going to take humility. It might take a lot of faith for you to believe in this. But I'm telling you, folks, God is interested when we spread things out before Him because He loves that kind of faith to answer it. Because God is all-powerful, folks. You can't keep Him in a box. He will fly out of that box anytime you try to control where He's at. And He really can do the unexpected in your life. So Hezekiah, he takes this letter, he spreads it out before God, and he says this prayer. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand. Let's read those next two words together. What's it say? So that. There it is again. You remember last week? So that. Now you would think that he would pray something like this. So that I could save my rear end. So that I would have no pain. So that my kingship would prosper. So that my family would be safe. Whatever it is, you think that that's the kind of prayer that he would pray. So that I could reign for 29 years. But no, that's not what he says. He says this, So that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. When you pray, have you looked at your prayers lately? Do any of them have so that's in it? Have you analyzed them? Rather than making this big laundry list of things that you want or this big Christmas list of things that you want, do you simply pray so that your name might be honored? 
Well, Hezekiah prays this prayer, and God answers his prayer with this ridiculous, absurd response. In a word, God comes to Hezekiah and he says, I will intervene. You will not have to defend this city. You will not even have to lift up a finger. I'm going to take care of all of it. I'm going to fight the battle for you. 2 Kings 19.34, God says this, I will defend this city and save it for whose sake? God's sake. For my sake and for the sake of my servant David, who was a so that person as well. Now Hezekiah has got to be thinking right now, (laughs) yeah, right God, sounds good, good joke. Like, I guess I could just go to the beach, get some rays, put on my Ray-Bans, just take it easy, you know, just chill out while you go and fight the battle. I don't even have to lift up a finger, do I? You can just do it for me. Got my bag packed for the beach. Now look at verses 35 to 38. Look what God does. That night the angel of the Lord went out. It's hard to read this, but it's true. He went out and he put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh. And the last three words, what's it say? And stay there. <laughs> Isn't that what you do? You wake up one morning and there's all these dead bodies, 185,000. You go to another place. You get to that place and you go, I'm staying here. There's no reason for me to do anything else. Heck, I would stay in Nineveh. Now at this point, all the Assyrians are seeing this and they're thinking, who is this God? This isn't a wimpy God. This is a powerful God. And why is he fighting Hezekiah's battle for him? And this leads me to our final question. And it's this. Why is it that sometimes God expects us to fight our own battles? And then there are other times that God fights our battles You know, there are times in my life where God has directed me or left me no other choice but to scrape and to claw and to sacrifice and to struggle. Again, with His help, but I'm the one who has to be in the fight. And maybe He needed to show me that I needed to fight for something so that I could grow in His love or I could grow in perseverance or I could grow in courage or grow in something. But there are times in your life in which God is just going to turn to you and He's going to say, fight, fight, fight. Fight more, fight harder, fight longer. I'm with you in this fight. But it's not going to come easy for you. And some of these battles go on for years and years. But finally, there's the victory. And I found when I have these long fights that I have to fight, for some reason God doesn't just come in and save the day. He's there to help me, but I have to fight it. At the end of those fights, I'm like, hey, thanks a lot, God. You know, feels like I fought this one all by myself. But often, there is a reason why God wants us to be in a battle, to be in something that we really believe in. Fighting for something that we want to save or to build. I have no doubt in my mind that we had to fight for the church to be where it is today. 
You are here today because there are people who sacrificed to send people to a movie six years ago. Often he can't do it any other way than to do it while you're in the midst of the battle. And sometimes God says, that's the way it's just going to happen. Now there's other times when he just nods his head. He lifts up his finger. An angel of the Lord comes and fights the battle for us. We don't deserve it. He cuts through all the red tape. He opens up doors, folks, in our lives sometimes that we can't even believe. We're kind of like, wait a minute, I was supposed to work for that thing, or it was supposed to be so much more difficult. How did that just happen? So why is it that sometimes God lets us battle the fight, even though He's there with us, and sometimes He just takes care of the battle? You ever wonder that before? Why some things in life are easy and some things are difficult. Some feel like God shows up. Other times it feels like we're in the battle alone. Well, if you've ever wondered that before, today is your lucky day. Because I got the answer. I've got a five-word answer, a four-word answer, and a seven-word answer. Here is the first five-word answer. I don't have a clue. Now, I put this up here because some of you might want to quote me later on. You might want to put this on a billboard or, you know, whatever it is. But the reality is, I don't have a clue. Here's my four-word answer. His greatness is unsearchable. And finally, I have a seven-word answer. The secret things belong to the Lord. Folks, sometimes... I just have to let God be God. I can't keep Him in a box. I don't know what the next battle looks like in my life, but I can't keep Him there. I don't know if He's going to expect me to fight the fight with His help or if He is going to fight it for me. But either way, when I go to the battle... I'm going to ask God. I'm going to spread out my needs before Him. And I'm going to ask Him to be strong in and through my efforts. Or maybe I'm going to just be able to say, God, You fight the battle. And I'll just kind of back away from it. And I'll say, God, You're not in the box. You do it however You want to do it. And I'll watch and I'll see. You win this for one. That You win this one for me. If I don't have to suit up this time, God, it's just fine. I know that some of you are going through some difficult battles right now. I don't understand exactly what your battle is, but I know there's some tough stuff. And some of you, you're like, nope, I'm not going through any battle at all. Well, guess what? You will. Because this is, the, this is what life is. You're either getting ready to go into a battle, you're in the battle, or you're coming out of the battle. 
And so when the battle hits, I just want you to know one thing. God is with you. Whether you feel like you're fighting the battle by yourself or whether God fights the battle by himself, God is with you. In fact, the most repeated promise in the entire Bible is not forgiveness of sin, it's not salvation, it's not being in heaven. The greatest promise in the Bible is God is with you. And his call to both you and me is that we would take the concerns that we have and that we would spread them out before God and believe that he will show up. It may happen today. It may not. It may happen tomorrow. It may not. But one day, folks, every single prayer that has ever come from your lips will be answered. So that his name would be lifted up. Folks, you just can't keep God in a box. And when you're going through some real pain and difficulty, you want to keep Him there because you don't want to fill it. But the reality is, if you let Him out of the box, He may heal your life in a way that you've never experienced before. God is God and we are not. And you should be very thankful that I'm not God. And I'm thankful that you're not. There are mysterious and unpredictable things that happen with the one true God. And we must always remember that in time, in time, He will lift us up and He will come to our rescue. We're going to uh, stand for closing prayer. And then we're just going to spend some time in worship. If you'd like to stay, you can. If you need to take off, that's fine too. But we're going to pray and then we'll, uh, we'll sing. Let's pray. God, whether you prosper us or whether you don't, whether you help us to fight the battle or whether you allow us to kind of go through some of the battle on our own. We come today, Lord, and we spread out our needs before you. And whatever it is, God, that we need to spread out before you, God, I just pray right now that people in this place would just just maybe just take their hand. No one's looking, but just kind of lift your hand and and just give it to Him. Putting your hands together, just, just spread it out before Him. And God, we just choose to believe that You are the same God who went to a 25 year old king and You helped him in his battle, that You'll do the same for us. And so, Jesus, would your love that is so great penetrate people's lives in this place today? We lay this out before you, believing, God, that you are with us at all times. We pray in Jesus' name.
dismissed. If you guys want prayer for anything, uh, there will be people praying up here. And feel free to come up here for prayer for anything. So have a great week. Be safe. We'll see you next week.